Hey friends, it is Thursday night and time for another Incredible Halt podcast. I have been doing these every single day that we've been sheltered in place. That was due to end this coming Monday, but that has been extended to April 30th. So we get another 30 episodes before this is all said and done. And tonight's episode was an absolute blast. It is with Marcus Collins. He is a Chief Consumer Connection Officer at Donor. He is also a professor at the University of Michigan at age 40 under 40, and he is a keynote speaker. But once you get past the resume, He's one of my favorite human beings to talk to about culture and how it affects us and how we affect it. And so I thought it might be fun to talk a little bit about culture during coronavirus, of course, talk about hip hop music, and then talk about how we are all getting through this one day at a time. I hope you and yours are doing amazing on this beautiful Thursday evening. And without further ado, this is the Incredible Hulk Podcast. There are aspects of my personality that I can't control. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. The Incredible Halt Podcast. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I'm raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. But we won't. The Incredible Halt. Besides, nobody's getting hurt. Podcast. Maybe if I can control it, I can use it. Hear the music. Hello, sir. How are you? Look at this. The one, the only. Oh, please. <laughs> oh, please. How are you, buddy? Should I be doing video or we just do it? No, 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 no. Don't. I just do it just so in case anyone wants to see me. Do whatever you want. Okay, cool. I'm good, man. How about you? I am. I mean, I'm good. My my son is in playing Excite Bike on a Nintendo, and my daughter is doing something on an iPad. So things are good. What about you? Bite, bite, yo, that's so old school. It's great. Yeah, he's, dude, I don't know. I mean, for a four-year-old, he's super into the old school stuff. So whatever. I'll let him do his thing. So That's awesome. No, we're good, man. You know, it's, uh, you know the, the deal. It's, it's a little crazy. You know, the kids get a little cur- real stir crazy towards the end of the day. But for the most part, everyone's being a trooper. Yeah, we, I mean, this is our witching hour, too. This four to six tends to be the... the- the difficult time so but i i appreciate the time my friend um and you know i I sort of a i wanted to connect just because um i find you to be an incredibly inspiring human that i want to talk to and two um wondering you know you you've done a couple things in and around what's happening but i just wonder as a guy who you know specializes in understanding not only marketing but most specifically culture and how we consume it what you're seeing right now and and how we can sort of as consumers navigate whatever the, whatever this is. Right. <laughs> you know, I think that at the, the, the bottom line of all this is that in moments of extremity, we always find ourselves regressing back to the mean, right? In moments where things are crazy, whether it's awesome or it's horrible, we regress to the mean. Like even in statistics, they say that like if a basketball player has a hot hand, and he scores 74 points on one night, he'd probably score his regular, his regular scoring the next night. Sure. I think the same thing goes here, that in these moments of extremity when things are crazy and unbelievable and, and completely unprecedented, the one thing that we can control is how human we decide to be. Do and you... I, think that, I think that, you know, people who are like, yo, how can I help? Like, you know, you hit me up like, hey, man, how can I help? Like, it, 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 like you never see the human condition at such a at such a high fidelity until you see moments of calamity. 
where you know where we have no control so we control the one thing that we can the one thing that's certain and it's us here and considering this is how we you know we're able to evolve you consider yourself uh, you know an evolutionary anthropologist that that's just who we're who we are we're, we're social animals by nature and this is us doing what we do best and i think that the only way to fare this time this moment of time whether you're an individual or a company or just a plain old you know citizen of this world just to, to help to be human are you seeing a lot of examples of that you in you've sort of have a bifurcated career path right one half you're an educator the other half you work a donor and you guys put out that incredible detroit video that you and i were talking about which is exactly what you're saying is showing which what i find so profound about that video is it shows the human side of detroit with no people in it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i you know i see you see companies doing that. We talked about, we laughed about this a couple of weeks ago, how, you know, you're getting emails from, you know, the, the dry cleaners you went to five years ago. Right. It was yes. like, Hey, we care about you, Marcus. It's like, you don't even know me. Like I've heard from you five years. What are you doing? <laughs> um, you know, so like you see those, it seems so completely disingenuous and so just kind of gross and out of step. But then you see companies like Carhartt who like presses pause on their normal production and says, you know, no, we're going to start producing masks. Right? Or you see yeah. GMs, like, we're going to stop and we're going to create ventilators. Or Anheuser-Busch and Diageo that says, hey, we're going to stop. We're going to press pause on our production of, of alcohol and start producing hand sanitizer. Like, that's just, it's just human, man. Like, I feel like those are the best examples. And even seeing, like, small business owners who are like, I usually am um, a fitness instructor and I can't do that now. So I'm going to give instruction via Facebook Live. Will I make money from it? No. Will it help people? Yes. And will that maybe help my business in the future? Perhaps. Is that why I'm doing it? No. But I think that's just like, it's just, it's, it's an awesome thing to see. It's inspiring. It is. Uh, I think one of the things, though, that keeps us so off kilter, and you and I have talked about it at least via text, is is the, the lack of the lack of knowing when this is coming to a, a close, because unlike, and this is one of the things I kind of wanted to pick your brain about, not, not the least of, I've got like a thousand questions for you, but unlike the Great Depression, where you're just dealing with economic indicators, right? We have a, we have a different thing happening here, which makes this thing, I think for a lot of people, very difficult to not only navigate, but understand, because you're dealing with a novel virus and how it spreads or doesn't spread. And there's so much misinformation in any platform you're consuming and then also the tens of millions of americans that are now unemployed creating this as i was saying earlier today these two trains driving at each other at 100 miles an hour and one of them has to blink yeah <laughs> that's right that's right it, the, it's 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 the like i tell you put it they in the economic downturn when you see they kind of start to tick back up it's like great we're in a good place but the economy is ticking back up when we see glimmers of maybe something perhaps is doing better in Italy. <laughs> right. you know, yes. You know, it's like, it, it's all speculative, which is, which to me is like a very good, it's a good critique on the economy and stock market in general. That's all speculative by nature, but you're right. Like, you know, we, we are, we're getting our cues from an invisible thing known as a pathogen um, and just seeing it sort of incubate within people and hoping that the alchemy of, of that happening could give us an indication of whether we're, we're close to being out of this thing or not. 
And so, Marcus, you are a, a keynote speaker on top of the other jobs that you have. You teach class at the University of Michigan. I'm wondering what it, what has how has this changed your prep for at least the summer semester that you guys are going to be 100% virtual? What does that class look like? I, I was fortunate to sit in on one of your open office hours. I'm going to do that again tomorrow. But uh, what it, when you're teaching class, what how have you made sort of shifts to bring in your energy and the way in which you present? to a digital-only platform so people can't actually see you in a physical space? I'll tell you, honestly, my first thing was like, man, I, 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 I designed a course for a particular medium, much like if you were creating content for TikTok, you would create differently than you would for Instagram, right? Yep. Like, I designed it for a particular medium based upon the way people engage in that medium, this being the physical, you know, in the classroom. And since I can't do that, yeah, I, I I didn't know how, or did I knew I could? I didn't know how to recreate that into uh, a virtual environment, a digital environment, and still keep sort of the integrity of the design. So I had to kind of like kind of just press pause on at least the the pedagogy, the pedagogical approach I was going to deliver the content, and sort of focus on like just get right down, like what is what do they have to know? Where are the meat and potatoes? Like let's get to the meat and potatoes, sort of scale back all the things I thought enriched the um, enriched the, the content. But what was really interesting is when I decided to sort of kind of just let that go and just observe to see what people gravitated to and what they, what I felt they wanted. So I stopped doing as much me lecturing and start kind of giving prompts, letting people go into breakout groups. And then I go sit in those breakout groups with them and sort of, you know, continue to, to agitate conversation, if you will. <laughs> And I, and I feel like, and I feel like, you know, I, the, the conversations were really rich. I thought that the students, and this was great that the students were, the students care about their, their education. So they're super involved and they realize this is a, a non-performance situation for all of us, which is great. So now that I'm thinking about the spring term, I'm taking all that new knowledge of this experience, thinking about these office hours, which has been great is that, you know, the stuff I didn't plan for, I just sort of like tried it sort of, and observe and just watch human behavior, which is what we talk about as marketers in general. You know, I, I did my regular office hours where students were dropping in. I figured no one was going to show up, but people showed up. And some people didn't even have questions. They just wanted to just kind of be in front or around people. But that was really kind of cool to see. And I figured, you know what, if students are feeling like this, I imagine there are a lot of people, professionals, whomever else, other students that probably are feeling this way too and probably have questions. And considering this is an opportunity to learn more, what if we did office hours for anybody? We just open up a drop, you know, open up a, a Zoom link and anyone can drop in. And considering I am not the smartest person on the planet, there are other people who are far, far more savvier and smarter or have different perspectives than I do. I'll co-host them with it, which is why you're one of my co-hosts. <laughs> well, and, 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 and I, I, just, I, I would find... just, I would just pause for a second and say, one, I, d I won't accept that. <laughs> I won't accept your, self-effacing humor for a moment and just say I think in one of your superpowers is your ability to gather people around and create your own communities that create sort of a superhuman talking about culture or marketing or both you know um so it's it's not so much because I say a lot of the same thing so I, I see I see that I'm not the smartest guy in the room so I go find somebody but I also think that there's there's power in what you've been able to do by bringing people into that room and just seeing what happens and it's you know it's really been it's been amazing I I, I really look forward to doing them every week 
because I learn a lot. I learned a lot from those things. And I feel like, you know, as I, it, it, it went from sort of me kind of quasi interviewing the next person that, that's hosting with me and then say like, are there any questions? To like it just being a full out dialogue, like when you, when you were on, it was, we were just talking, and yeah. it's just it's just it's awesome, and it says to me, this is how I'm going to design the course for the spring that's full that's fully virtual. That it's not about the delivery of content because I could do that in an asynchronous fashion. This is about providing so like uh, facilitating social learning that we like learn from each other, and like that's sort of that's where my whole mantra is right now when it comes to the academic side. And even better is that once we get back in the physical classrooms, I'm going to keep that. Right. Like I plan to keep doing virtual, you know, the, the open office hours all year long. I, I plan to continue to do this because it's, it's, I think it's helpful and it only enriches what I've already done. And in my mind, like this is when innovation comes about. I couldn't agree more, uh, and, and I'm excited to see what comes out of the other side of this. The caveat being, as I said earlier, I think what's difficult for a lot of people is just the the amount of unknowns I think might squelch some people in in this moment, which might actually be the most important moment, to spark that innovation because they're uncomfortable and because it's very difficult right now. It is. It is. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's easier to sort of, um, to sort of kind of curl up and just say, I'm just going to wait this thing out because I don't know what to do. Like, I don't want to start a new thing. And then that thing doesn't, doesn't matter anymore because we're out of this thing. So when do I start? It's like, it's, a, it's like, it's like double Dutch. Like, when do I jump into the rope? I'm not sure when to, when, when to go in, you know, so yes. because I don't know, I'm just going to kind of hang out. I can imagine some people feel that way. And, you know, it, it's, 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 I think it's interesting you know, this saying everything happens for a reason. And, and I, and I believe that, but like, I think about the conversation that we had back in January about like just getting started, just do it, man. Just it's gonna it's gonna be awful when you first started, but before like if you keep doing it, it'll only get better. You just have to start. And I think that like that's been that's been a really big push for me, which is why I tell you that every time we talk, like that's been such a, an inspiring um, and provocative thing for me. That like if you just start. Um, once you put it in the world, you're like, this isn't so hard to do. And then you start thinking about how do I make it better, which is what we all want. We just want to make it better, yeah. whether it's our situation, whether it's our work, whether it's the things we put in the world. We just want to be better. And I think that um, now is the time to do that, even if you fall, even if it sucks, do it. For sure. Now, can we take a, a couple steps back? Because for people who don't know you, you've had a very fascinating life even up to this point. And, and I wonder if you could kind of... You don't need to necessarily fast track it, but how did you, from what you were doing as an artist and all of those things, how did you end up at the University of Michigan teaching? What is what does that trajectory look like? It's not linear at all. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. I mean, like I like the fact that I'm in academia is almost like the biggest joke ever because like I was an awful student in college. Like I, I tell people that like I loved college and I hated school. Like I loved yep. college. College was amazing. So much fun. But the school part wasn't really for me. So I studied engineering undergrad because I thought that materials were cool, but I really wanted to be a musician, uh, much to my parents' chagrin. So after prodding and uh, forceful demands from my parents, I decided to finish my degree in engineering. And I, when I graduated, I went straight to the music business. did a music startup where I was writing and producing music, and that, that was my life. I was like writing love songs for a living, and it was great. 
until the music industry dried up because the music industry sucks. And it was really bad in, <laughs> in, in the you know, 2007, 2006. It was really bad. Um, so I figured I should probably go to business school to figure out this disruption that was happening in music, which was digital. So, you know, God opened up the, the heaven's gates for me and, and allowed me to get, allowed me to get admitted to the Ross School of Business. I don't know how that happened, but I'm thankful for it. So I get into Ross, I finish Ross. Uh, I go work at Apple doing partner marketing at iTunes, which started off as an internship and then, um, then, um, then kept on going. And then I moved, to, I graduated right in the middle of nine of uh, 2009 recession, which is awful. Ended up moving to New York, met Matthew Knowles, who has a daughter named Beyonce. And he's like, yo, wait a minute, let me get this straight. You're an engineer. You started a music company, you have an MBA, you work at iTunes, and you're black? Like, dude, who are you? Like, you're not real. <laughs> like, oh, I'm real. So he says, you should come to New York, and you, know, you should come run digital strategy for Beyonce. And I was like, yep, I should totally do that. Yes, I should. So now I I'm should do that. World. Exactly. Like, yeah, 100%. So now I'm in the world of music at its highest fidelity, I'd say. Though I'm not making the music, I'm, you know, I'm with arguably the biggest artist on the planet. Um, and I realized that as great as life was with her working with, in the Beyonce world, that like everything from there is down. There is no, like, where yeah. do you go after you work with Beyonce, yep. you know? And truthfully being totally candid that like Beyonce didn't need me. <laughs> like whatever she did was going to be great because she's great. And I would often ask myself like, how good am I? Am I any am I, am, am I really any good? You know, if you play on a team with Michael Jordan, you know, just pass the ball to Michael and like, like the chance you'd win. So it's like, do you, like, how good do I have to <laughs> I, be? To, I feel to like be that's a, a shot at Luke Longley, here? but I'm not real sure. So, but it was, <laughs> that's a good one. Um, so I just, you know, I, I, I decided to go into advertising. Um, I was working at Pure Play Social Agency and then ended up meeting Steve Stout, who started translation. Uh, Steve Stout was a music industry guy who got into advertising. He started with his partners, Jimmy Iveen and Jay-Z, all about like culture and brands where those things converge. And I was like, this is my place. And there, I just like that, that, like that, that is really where my career sort of took off, being at Translation, um, having the incubation at, at Apple, at Beyonce, working at Big Fuel, doing social media marketting, but all culminated at, at Translation. And while this was happening, I started teaching at NYU because I was curious about uh, human behavior. Uh, my wife and I had our daughter, Georgia. We left New York, came to Michigan, started working at Donor, running the social practice there, and then started teaching at, at Michigan. And then, you know, I just found myself, like, just insati insatiably curious about culture and brands um, and not only want to put things in the world, but want to study why those things happen. And here I am. That's awesome. That's awesome. So one of the other things I wanted to ask is I was having this conversation earlier today uh, with another friend. We were doing kind of a virtual lunch and we were talking about the, the industry that you so deeply love and hate. Uh, and I, he, he was asking me, he was like, so Eric, when do you when do you think that we get back to going to concerts? And I was said, I said, you know, if I'm guessing, my guess is until we have figured out some sort of version of, uh, you know, that it's something that can mitigate the the symptoms before we create a antidote or the actual antidote gets created right like somewhere in in between there is probably when that happens and my guess would be late this year if not early next year 
and so he was asking, you know, do you think all these all these large artists are going to put their their projects off? And I said, well, that's an interesting question, and this is what I want to ask you, Marcus. I said, that's an interesting question because the labels are printing money off of what's happening on Spotify, but the artists need to go out on the road to make money. So it creates, again, another right. another push and pull here. And I wonder your thoughts on how that will shake out, because obviously the label is thinking all these people are trapped at home. Let's continue to put out some A-caliber projects that they can stream to death, and we'll figure out what happens when whoever, right, the weekend, Dia Lupta, whatever, when they get on the road, they can figure that part out. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I think that, they, for me, I think the record industry has become a sense of, for new music, um, the new records are, are just basically an opportunity for artists to go tour. Yep. Right? It's almost like speakers. Like, I write a new book so I can go in the speaking circuit right. again to <laughs> right. talk yes. about my new book. Yes. Right? It's very much like the music industry. And I think that, you know, that even like great, great music right now, I don't know if it feels real without all the other pieces around it. For instance, so Drake just dropped that, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the song, it dropped it la last week, right? And this is a Drake, a new Drake song. You would think that everyone would be talking about it, but it's not happening like that. And I don't think that we're ready for new music in that way. That said, what I think will really be interesting, what I think is the, the biggest takeaway for me here is that artists who are removing the veil and creating more intimacy between the viewer and themselves, the audience and themselves, that's where things are going to be cool. So instead of like big massive festivals, which I think was the byproduct of, of the recession in 2008, that people stopped going to like, you know, singular concerts yeah, and yeah. went to festivals, they can see more of their artists at the same time at, you know, at a, you know, a, a somewhat of a discounted rate, right? Um, like what, what does Franco should say? I went to Coachella. Uh, I went to see. I went to see Jiggas. Went to see Z Trip. Perfect, right? You see two different artists, yep. different place, without that much money being spent. And I think that artists that are doing like concerts in their bedroom, like Erica Badu or John Legend or um, Teddy Riley, just did a concert in his in his house. Like those things, I think there's so much more intimacy that comes from that. I think that that's going to be an interesting thing for artists to do. And, and I and the debut new music that way. Yeah, well, and you've seen some of that, right? Because they can't get the projects out, so they're they're leaking singles or playing them live, or just to try and get people interested. Because to your point, I don't know that we're spending a lot of time. I would have to look at the data, so this is just anecdotal. I don't know that we're spending a lot of time leaping into Discover Weekly right now, because at least I find myself looking for either these live performances because there's some solidarity in in we're all in this together you know i forget I, I think i was listening to a rob bell podcast where he was saying every famous person you've ever thought of ever is at home right now right um right, that's right. And, and, and having that that sort of commonality as you use that word is more helpful to me than whatever comes out on friday on spotify at least for me and how i feel and how i consume music and then as far as streaming I'm streaming mostly things that I'm familiar with because I'm seeking that familiarity. Exactly. Like it's just certainty in that, like bring you back to a time that I remember, like I can remember when we were, we weren't like, you know, trapped, you know, trapped in our houses, like bring back to that, to this, this joy and that nostalgia. So seeing like old school artists, you know, performs like, man, give, bring me back there. I mean, think about this, but like the hottest DJ right now is DJ D nice who was yep. a hip hop artist and boogie down productions from the eighties. Yep. <laughs> like this is where we are. 
You know, uh, I think this is it's fascinating. Even that, like, if it's not the, the nice quarantine parties, it's the the producer uh, competitions. Like, who who that? Manny Fresh and Scott Storch. I just saw a Little John and T Pain. Like, give me just some familiarity. Like that that makes me feel good. Not only that, to your point, that I get to see these people just be human, like me. Yeah. Like, even though they live in mansions or whatever, they're like they they're just like us. And that level of commonality just makes us feel like we're all in this together. I think it's really powerful. For sure. Marcus, if people want to connect with you, which I highly recommend for no other reason than Check the Rhyme, which is my favorite thing that you do right now. Uh, you know, what's the best? What, what's, your, what's your app du jour? Is it Twitter? What, it, what is it? Uh, you can get at me at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. It's all at Mark to the C. M A R C. T-O-T-H-E-C. And then last thing, if you could recommend a record people should l- listen to in quarantine, what are we listening to? Oh, so for me, I am a huge Frank Ocean fan. Huge, huge, huge Frank Ocean fan. Um, so if you had to sit with the record right now, if you slept on Blonde, which was his second album after Channel Orange, this is the time to revisit Blonde. Or if you want to be more nostalgic than that, I would go back to D'Angelo's Voodoo right now. Look at you. Love that one. That's awesome. My friend, it is so it's great. Perfect album. It's, it's so great to, to hear your voice and have a chance to hang with you. I'm glad that you and the family are doing well. Uh, I would like to do this um, in person at some point <laughs> and do a much longer version of this. But I, I, I thank you for the time, dude. It's been awesome. My absolute pleasure. Love, having, love being a part of this. Thank you so much. All right, brother. Be well. Yeah, take care.